Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Christine Thackeray. And I'm Julie Danes. We're so glad, Julie, that you're here with us again. Thank you. It's and fun. We get, oh, it is fun. And we get to talk about the Sermon on the Mount for another week. Which Beautiful is even, part of scriptures. It's even more fun to be able to continue down this road. We're going to be talking about chapters 6 and 7. And I think it's really fascinating when we look at the very beginning of chapter 6. Right after the Savior has asked us to be perfect, and we talked a lot about teleos and what that perfection means, he then talks about hypocrites, <laughs> which I think is really interesting when we think of that juxtaposition between those two. And so I wanted to ask you, what does truly motivate you? What motivates you in your life or in what you do? Because one of the things about hypocrites that he talks about is, is that we have this motivation, this, you know, under the cover side of us, our hearts, and that, that when that's different in terms of what we're doing and our heart's not really in it, then we're a hypocrite, even if we're doing the right things. So I wanted to know what motivates you. Yeah, that's that's a good question. It's it's hard not to be a hypocrite because it's so easy to see what other people are doing wrong and to look upon yourself is a little troubling and it's hard. But I feel like what motivates me is my covenants. I have made covenants and I have been offered blessings in return for keeping those covenants. And so that is my motivation. I want to do the best I can to keep the covenants that I have made. That is beautiful. That is such an interesting question having to do with hypocrites and motivation because I think often we think of it as emotion, not motivation that makes you a hypocrite. Like when you do something good, but you don't really want to do it. So the whole time you're like, oh, I hate doing this, but you're doing it anyway. But you're doing it anyway. That right. that is not hypocritical. It's when you're doing it for men to think, oh, I'm so cool, when right. really you're not. So you're trying to hide, not you're trying to grow. And there's a big difference. So it was interesting because um, my daughter and I, we well, my daughter agreed to watch some other grandchildren because I had to run and go do something with Greg. And as I went to go with my husband to this doctor's appointment, she was like, I'm doing it just because I know it's right, not because I want to. And so she did it and she said, I'm being such a hypocrite. And I said, no. But if you look at motivation, her motivation was to do the right thing. To do the right but thing. But she didn't right. want to. So to consider that not being a hypocrite like is such a relief. Because how many times have you thought, I'm being such a hypocrite because I'm trying to smile and I don't really want to go to church, but I'm going because I know my covenant well, isn't that kind and of And I'm going to do it. Right, but that's right. not hypocritical because you're not doing it so everyone no. thinks you're cool. You're doing it because you love the Lord, but you really don't want well, to. Well, it goes to the parable, and I know we're going to be reading this in the future, of when the Savior says, you know, the two sons, the one son says, I'm going to go do it and then doesn't do it. And then the other son that says, no, I don't want to do it, but then goes and does it. Right. And so. And um, the second son is not a hypocrite. His motivations are, you know, that he wants to love the Lord. Right. And of course, we wish we were all perfect and could just say, yes, I'd love to do it. And it's exactly what I want to do. But yeah. Well, let's read what the Savior says here in the beginning. And this is the first four verses of chapter six. He says, take heed that ye do not your alms before men. And now if you look at you know, the footnotes, this idea of alms is that of righteous acts. 
So it's not just, you know, like you were saying, it's not just I'm giving money or alms, you think of, of money, but instead we're talking righteous acts of religious devotion. So it's doing those things that we know that the Lord wants us to do. Those are our alms before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, and think about religious devotions or righteous acts, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine religious acts may be in secret and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly so what do you think it means to do it in secret though does that mean that when we do a righteous act that nobody can know that we did it honestly for me this set of verses ties back to that great talk that was given by elder president benson no, Hinkley, oh, the pride I think. talk. Beware of pride. Oh, yeah, that was that beware was of Ezra pride. I read that talk at least once a year. Wow, and it is so powerful. It is because this to me says, beware of pride. Mm-hmm. Do the right thing, and do it quietly, so that you're not doing it for yourself, but you're doing it for God. So when you show up to clean the church on Saturday. And Sunday, you don't have to tell other people that you showed up on Saturday. That's right. (laughs) It's because of me that this church is so beautiful and clean. Well, some things deserve a reward. That's right. right. (laughs) But yeah, because we all know people who are like, I go to the temple, you know, every day of the week. I know. And you're like, well, you know, other people go frequently too. I don't know. And other people don't. (laughs) It's just... I don't maybe that was a bad example, but it's just it says to me, beware of pride. Wow. Well, I do agree with you. And I do want to share what Elder D. Todd Christofferson said in, in 2010. He said the Savior's sternest rebukes were to hypocrites. Hypocrisy is terribly destructive, not only to the hypocrite, but also to those who observe or know of his or her conduct, especially children. It is faith-destroying, whereas honor is the rich soul and soil in which the seed of faith thrives. Now, this one comment, he says, um, you know, this idea of not only to the hypocrite, but also to those who observe or know of his or her conduct, especially children. That really hit home as a mom and a grandma. You know, am I doing hypocritical acts that my children are seeing? Is that affecting them in any way? What do you think about that comment of Elder Christofferson? I think it's so hard as a parent to not have some hypocrisy because we know what is right and we know how to behave, but it's hard to do it ourselves, right? We're not perfect. We talked about that last time. We're not perfect and we make mistakes, and but we don't want our kids to make those mistakes. So we tell the kids, don't do this, even though I'm doing it, but I'm not doing it on purpose. You know, it's so hard. It is hard. And so I think it's good to have that open conversation. 
you shouldn't say things like that. Well, you do. Well, I shouldn't say it either. Let's work together. together. Let's exactly. work together to overcome the natural man. I love that. It is interesting because in my work with um, with kids in the foster care program and with um, at-risk kids, youth, one of the big things that drives them crazy is hypocrisy. Right. And they can see right through if you're not genuine or if you teach one thing and then you go behind your back and do right. another, then you've lost all cred with them. You're done. Oh, yeah. And so it is interesting because if you're honest and even if you're imperfect – but you're honest and you're you impeccable. You don't try and be separate and above, but you're right. like, you know, I struggle with the same things you do. Mm-hmm. I struggle with losing my temper. Sometimes mm-hmm. I want to do things that are inappropriate, but I hold them back. And so we're going to practice together Then when you're on that level. So I don't think, I think it's okay to teach things that we're still learning and be a mentor as opposed to. Right. And I do but know. But it is easy to feel Just like that you way. were saying, I know a young woman who went to a movie and she saw her young woman leader going into an R-rated movie. <laughs> Remember Mother's Story and about she that? she lost credibility as yeah. a young woman's leader because of that one little choice. Right. Well, when I was thinking about this, especially, you know, we talk about these four, and, and I do want to just make one comment. I, I, I My dissertation was a, a motivational study, so I have very strong feelings about the power of motivation. But one thing is I studied motivation. One thing that I think people think is there must be a formula. So if I do X, then this will happen. If I make sure that, for instance, it's, it's the idea of external motivation. You know, so if I give you a piece of candy and ask you to do something, then you'll do it. And instead, what I think that is so powerful when we talk about this kind of motivation, we're talking about what's in the heart. We're not talking about the outward you know, I, I'm doing this for what man is going to see that I do. I'm doing this because in my heart, secretly in my heart. And I think that's what he's talking about, is that secretly in my heart, the Lord's the only one that can really see my heart. And so he will see my heart and know the reason why I'm doing it. But because of that, I kind of hooked those first four verses that we're talking about with Matthew 6, 21 through 24. And when we put those two concepts together, I think for me it was like a little aha moment because I think that this for me is kind of the essence of hypocrisy and what hypocrisy isn't. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil... The whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So for me, this is the essence of what we're talking about in terms of this hypocrisy. You know, so why are we doing things? What is really the reason? What is the motivation? What is causing us to do that? What is the treasure that is in our heart and the reason why we're doing things? So what is your thought? Wow. I was just thinking about the wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we always have it like you can see the wolf. But what if it really looks like a sheep and it really is the heart of a wolf? You know, that they really are serving. And there are people in the church that 
that their hearts aren't in the right place. There's people in the world that that seem so good and then they're not. And it's easy to to get confused, but to look inside and say, is my heart really in the right place? And sometimes it may not be, but but that's why, and I think again, when the prophet said, make your relationship with Christ your highest priority. Definitely. If that's your number one, then everything else even if it's a little thing. And I think sometimes in the world, we may be a sheep with wolf's clothing because we have to function in the world, may not totally wolf's well, clothing, not, but you do need a little clothing. shine. <laughs> but um, but that idea that our heart is a sheep, that we're not, we're truly, you know, following the Lord and being one of his flock. Well, and what are we serving? And I think that's the other question. Well, and it says to. right here, with thine eye single, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like the motivation isn't, a sideways reward or a push from behind. It's our focus. I have it. We tell the story all the time in our family because it's so poignant. We went snowmobiling one year and my niece was driving a snowmobile and we were in a pretty large field and there was a telephone pole. Oh, Oh, wow. And she was driving towards the telephone pole and in her mind, she's saying, don't hit the telephone pole. Don't hit the telephone pole. And she hit it dead on bullseye. Oh, <laughs> and we talk about this oh, all no. the time. If your eye is single, what you're focused on is where That's you're gonna, gonna go. So if she focused on the telephone pole, she hit the pole. We've had, but two drivers if you do that. focus <laughs> on something else, Christ and his teachings, then that's the direction you're going to go. And you may be a little wobbly mm-hmm. on your way to mm-hmm. get there. That is where you will end up. Well, and this idea of the light of the body is the eye. Right. For me, that's really interesting, too, because where is our eye? What are we looking at? You know, yeah, what, where is what our we, focus? Where is our focus? And so, you know, also, what are we reading? What are we watching? What are we, you know, where where is our eye looking? You know, those kinds of things, too. Uh, how much time are we spending, you know, watching Netflix or, you know, doing other things when our eye needs to be looking at the light yeah. and be single to that? So I, I know as we talk about this, for me, it just brings us to prayer. You know, as we talk about having that single light, that idea of right. and And he does God. talk about hypocrites praying. Right, and, right. And um, one thing that really hit me in this same verse about prayer is he says, don't pray as the hypocrites do. And we've talked about vain repetitions. And mm-hmm. vanity is for what the world thinks. So when we talked about vain repetitions, haven't you heard people say, you know, you you need to use different phrases for like blessed food that will nourish and strengthen us or, you know, blessed missionaries that we'll find or whatever we do that we should switch it up. But that's not what vain repetitions. Vain repetitions are praying for what other people hear. And that is interesting because I think I've been more guilty of not what other people hear, but of doing the same thing over and over again, and rather praying with our heart, having that true communication with the Lord, I think is so important. Um, when I was on my mission, you get to teach people to pray. And I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we taught people And it's so fun because when I was on my mission, it was like the second or third lesson. So there were people that were really progressing. They were so excited for the first time they'd pray. And we had those flip books because yep. I'm old. Oh, yeah. And you open up and it book. had... Remember, dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee, we ask thee, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 
And we said, we'd explain, you know, that you fill in afterwards. And nine times out of 10, you sit down, you're so excited. And they just read it. Right. <laughs> and you're just right. like, we just talked about how you do the fill in and they didn't. Mm -hmm. So then we'd use the example and say, okay, prayer is a sandwich. So you start with dear Heavenly Father and you end with in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And whatever you put in the middle is your own heart. And it's the prayer sandwich. And so we taught that in primary. We taught that idea and go on and on. And and that's the way that I've taught to pray. But then Christ doesn't teach the primary way to pray or the brand new investigated way to pray. And he's not teaching those people that are brand new. Who is he teaching? We already talked about it. He's teaching his disciples. disciples. Right. And these people have been raised with the law of Moses. They're mature yeah. men. They know mm -hmm. the truth and they're learning this greater truth. So I was like, you know the what? I have been praying primary prayers. I haven't been praying grown-up prayers. <laughs> and so then I suddenly looked at the Lord's Prayer as a very much more complex pattern of prayer. So I wanted to just go through this really quick, um, the Lord's Prayer, because it was like, what? Yeah. Like a new thing for me. So it starts out, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I thought, how often when we pray, do we just start with your Heavenly Father and start in like a couple of oblig obligatory I thank yous and then right into like my laundry list. But instead, pausing. And I thought, how many Doctrine and Covenants verses begin with like, Oh, Savior, who's done so much to help us, who right. created yeah. the world. who, And so have we ever paused? And then that, like, Heavenly Father, who has blessed me so much, who showed me the house I should be in right now and helped me to save my children by moving there, who, right. you know, has, has woken me up to things that I need to be and has given me gifts and friends that are just wonderful in my life and I'm so grateful for. And so if we start with the power he's shown not only in the scriptures but in our individual lives and start our prayer with that, how then we're thinking of who we're walking towards, mm -hmm. who we're turning towards. That I, and I have ever I done that. Towards him. Hmm. Like, like said, hallowed be thy name. How in my life is he reverent and rehearse and remember those That's remembrances. Isn't really that beautiful? Odd? That is beautiful. And then thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I tried that this morning. I knelt down and I said, you know what? I'm going to start my prayer with a submissive phrase saying, whatever you inspire me to do during this prayer, I will do that. And then I was like, except I really want to do my writer's group. So please, please don't ask me to do anything at 10 o'clock because I really want to pause. And so it was funny because I had to have qualifiers. Well, isn't that real intent? Real intent. Right. Is that you are you say to the Lord, I, you know, I want your inspiration and whatever the Lord inspires me to do. I will do. But I thought it was That's interesting that I felt like I had to be honest and put qualifiers. And I thought there's empty days where I wouldn't have qualifiers. But I wonder if it's okay to say, thy will be done, but I really want this. So well, I guess the Savior said, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. So mm -hmm. if he had said something, I would have done it, but I wouldn't have been happy. But I, but that well, idea. Well, I of, hope you would be happy. I know, <laughs> eventually. But um, I do think that idea of having 
a submissive statement up front and That's seeing if your yeah. heart is aligned. Mm-hmm. So whatever, and I think at the beginning of DNC 132, when it says the Lord says, prepare your heart for that which you're about to receive. And instead of the Lord saying it to us, are we saying, my heart's prepared for what I'm about to receive for this prayer? That was weird. Okay, then give us this day our daily bread. And we know who is the bread of life. Yeah. Christ. Yep. Yep. So instead of the laundry list saying, okay, I really need thy inspiration and thy help. I need to be in partnership with the Savior in facing how I'm going to deal with this child. I need to be in partnership with the Savior. Inspire me, which is so different than please let this boy go on a date or please let him finish his, you know, college course. But also isn't the daily bread, if we think of him as the bread of life, isn't that also nourishment? Right. You know, that we gain that nourishment through reading the scriptures. By yeah. We talked about him being Ooh. the word and him right. being the bread. Well, and we and talked about right. hypocrisy. Do you ask for your daily bread without putting in the effort to, to read get your exactly. exactly. And get, you need to you do know? your part. You know, just like bread, I don't, I am not a bread maker. Are either of you? It's just I love hard. making bread because I love, like, squishing it. It just makes me so happy. <laughs> but I often thought about that. You're absolutely right. You know, in terms of bread, you have to work for bread. Yeah, you know, okay. it's a process. It's not a quickie thing. It's not a quickie And thing. I do think when you do it in terms of scripture reading, especially if you say, how can what I've read today or how will what I read spiritually like, nourish, spiritually nourish right. me in ways that I might not expect? Exactly. What should I see? In the I way see? I help with others or the help, wow. help with my children. So I right. do think having those pieces. But then the other one that got me is I never do this in my prayers and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And in the Joseph Smith translation, it's forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I thought, I never do that until the sacrament. At the sacrament, I think, okay, what did I blow this week (laughs) and how can I fix it? But to think of daily saying, okay, so where have I offended thee or done something I shouldn't? And who am I angry at or frustrated with that, that I, I should adjust my, my feelings right. so that you can forgive me. And I just, as far as a daily thing, I don't do that. And it should be a vain, repeti- not a vain repetition, it should be a real repetition okay. that something is something do I do daily, time. like right. a daily shower. I agree. So I just thought, wow, I don't add that. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the Joseph Smith translation, it says, suffer us not to be led into temptation, right. Right. but deliver right. us from evil. And it's the same thing as the devil didn't lead Christ up to the pinnacle of the temple. It was the Holy Spirit. But you're saying, exactly. lead us to where we need to go to so that we won't fall to temptation. And I think the most misquoted scripture in all scripturedom is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Do you know that one where you won't be tempted beyond what you bear? You know that? And you're like, that's not what it says. It says, but the Lord will provide an escape. Right. And sometimes that escape happens after, but sometimes more often it happens before. And I thought... um, And if we are not listening, if we are not following, then we are not going to have that escape. Absolutely. And I wanted to give it an example of that escape that came as a surprise to me. And that was, I was called 
um, to a primary presidency years ago. And in my setting apart, they said, you need to set your house in order. And it was said very, very sternly. Hmm. And they didn't talk about the children or what I teach at all. And I thought, that is so weird. So I came home and I prayed about it and I thought about it, went to the temple about it. And I realized I needed to do food storage. And I got this fire for food storage that made Hmm. no sense. And so I just went food storage crazy. Hmm. And what I did is I didn't do long-term wheat because we had all the wheat in the world. I went to Aldi's and I got a menu and I had a year. This never has happened since or after, but I um, I had a year of menus and I had and they were just chicken chow mein with the thing of canned chicken. Sure, I mean, it was sure, just but still. not fancy at all. But it was it was a year and I got the year done, and then almost the next week I fell ill with Guillain-Barre and I was paralyzed for a year and when I was paralyzed my 14 year old son decided to take on the cooking and my husband was working 15 hours a day and all he had to do was go downstairs and I had my menu done and it was like he suffered it's not temptation but it would have been so difficult it would have been a way harder trial and it was because of prayer and because of that connection that i didn't have the horrible trial it would have been if i wasn't prepared but the lord is there and as we pray this kind of prayer every day we may have something we're inspired to do that doesn't make any sense at all right but turns out to be a huge blessing and kudos to you for listening and following exactly. up on that. I think yeah, I would exactly. have felt a little overwhelmed and been like, are you sure? I don't know, you know. I know. It was a weird, weird um, thing. But I, I do love that. Lead us not, suffer us not to be led into difficulty that's unnecessary. So I'll listen. And even if it doesn't make sense, I'll do it. I love that. And then for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And going back to the beginning, saying again, I know because of this and this that you have changed my life. Mm-hmm. I know because I have felt your guiding light yesterday and the day before. And so reaffirming and remembering. And you know how often in the scriptures and even in the sacrament prayer, remember. Do we exactly. use our prayers to remember his power and glory in our individual lives. I'm like, no, I'm used to my primary prayers. I don't do this. So when I ended with it, you know, and then we end with, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I'm like, what a grown-up prayer. And so I've really tried. This hit me three days ago, and I've really tried to do it. And it it's harder. <laughs> it's harder. And the it prayers is. are more thoughtful. And you're searching to remember those moments of power and glory. Yeah. So well, anyway. And I was... bring back the thought of President Nelson's last general conference talk where he talked about how after we pray, we should have a journal that we write down those thoughts. We mentioned that the very first yeah. time we, met, we talked together. And if we're reaching for those points to remember... Even writing not only the things we're inspired to do, but the things we remember. Right. Because how often we do forget. the words we of forget. our prayers well, we are inspired? And I personally am such a second guesser. I'm always second guessing myself. 
I feel like I was maybe prompted to do this, but that doesn't seem right. So maybe I just made that up. Mm -hmm. And so maybe I shouldn't do it. I'm just not sure anymore. And then I usually end up saying, Heavenly Father, you're going to have to hit me over the head with a so I know it's from you. So I get this right. I just am always a second guesser. But if you write it down in the moment, like you said, I think that would help. That would be helpful for me. Well, and that's a perfect segue into judging righteously, because I do think there's sometimes that thoughts come into our head that aren't from the Lord, you know, and how do we judge righteously or how do we judge other people righteously and how do we not judge at all well that's hard well get rid of that judgment we are supposed to judge at all so well let me just read here from the joseph straight from the joseph smith translation in matthew 7 went into um jesus taught his disciples that they should say unto the people judge not unrighteously that ye be not judged but judge righteous judgment. Mm -hmm. And so many people look at that scripture where it says judge not, and they think I can't make any judgment. But that's not what he's telling us. Even later on in this chapter, he says, beware of false prophets. By their fruits you shall know them. Later on in the Doctrine and Covenants, go ye out from among the wicked. You're going to have to choose who is wicked and who is not. There's times we have to make adjustments when we're choosing friends, a spouse, who we're going to vote for. All of these things require a judgment. But the key is to remember to judge righteously because how we judge others is how we will be judged. Um, That German philosopher Goethe said, the way you see people is the way you treat them. And the way you treat them is what they become. And I just remember one time I was walking along the street and this guy in a car drove by, excuse me, and he was in like one of those big old convertible Oldsmobiles or something. (laughs) And it was red with white wall tires and he was wearing like a little sailor's cap or something, oh, right? Cute, cute. I already like him. Right? Me too. I'm judging. Me too. But the person that was with me looked at that and said, what an idiot. Oh. oh. <laughs> I just thought, I just right then made this promise to myself that I am going to follow the example that Christ gave us clear back in Samuel, right? To look upon the heart. Right. The Lord looketh upon the heart. And to not label people. I feel like we live in a time right now where everyone is getting a label of whatever. This person is, you know, lazy, frumpy, conceited, selfish, a narcissist, all this stuff. We're just throwing out labels at other people and at ourselves, right? And that is so sad to me because we tend to live up to the labels that we're given instead of our divine potential as children of God. And it breaks my heart when that happens. And um, so, yeah, people will be, maybe they're an introvert, and they say, oh, well, I can't go to church. It's too hard for me, you know, with the big crowd. Well, then they're just living up to the label that they've chosen to give themselves. You can be an introvert and strive and work hard and go to church and be blessed for that. You are, because we are all divine We have this divine potential that we could live up to. We don't need to cap it off with a label that came from somewhere else, else, either ourselves or the public 
or whatever. Well, I love this in terms of President Nelson's talk that talked about those three things that we should identify as. Remember, a, a child of the covenant and a child of God, and I'm not going to remember what the third one is. Do you remember what I'm talking about? When he yes. talked about our identity and about labels. Right. And I'll right. have to look what the third one is, but that idea that we make, let everybody be a child of God and look at their heart. Right. Because I think people are self-identifying in different corners because they're being encouraged to. And when we get to know them, just looking at them as a child of God and saying, you know, where are the beautiful pieces of you? And just finding those parts to love. Yeah. Well, and this reminds me of verse 4 and 5. It kind of brings back the hypocrite. Yeah. But he says, Or now wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the moat out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Right. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. And I love that it says, Then you shall see clearly. Because exactly. that means that you are able to look on their heart and judge righteously and give them the benefit of the doubt and try and understand the circumstances, you know, behind the choices that they are making. You know, certainly there are people who have been led so far off the covenant path that we have to distance ourselves from them for our own safety. Right. Right. But that is a that is a careful judgment that we have to make spiritually and commune with our heavenly father and look upon their heart and then make those choices and they're hard sometimes hard choices sometimes well and i do think along with that um when we talk about labeling ourselves and labeling others it might be that also that beam is a label we've put on ourselves right absolutely i think we do that to ourselves all the time I asked some of my friends what labels they thought, and immediately someone came back to me and said, well, I think of myself as lazy and incompetent. There, mm, cast know. that out. That's and a beam so, that's stopping you, you know, from seeing that's clearly. Right there. Right? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yo, I agree. I agree. I had never looked at self-identity as that beam. I always thought it was preconceived ideas. But self-identity is huge. Yeah. I think we put a lot of limitations on ourselves. Because I don't know why we listen to the world. We we're natural. Men, well, we also know? live with ourselves. So we, we live know with ourselves. Like on the we inside know. out. We, we know ourselves. We can look well. on our own heart a little too closely, right? I agree. Too closely. It's like when you think your makeup's great, and then you get like a you know right. put your glasses know. on. You're like, whoa! Oh, I totally what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> well, and I think along with that, if we we turn to Matthew seven twenty one to twenty three. We also kind of talk about that beam, and you mentioned about realizing and understanding that we truly are children of God, and that for me kind of goes with this, these two, these three verses. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name? cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works and then will I profess unto them I never knew you depart from me ye that work iniquity so I'm going to ask you okay these people did good things why do you think he's saying I never knew you well I think it has to do with 
kind of what we've been talking about with prayer and looking for inspiration and even with the Beatitudes when we talked before about looking to partnership with the Lord and when he inspires us to do something, doing it. And the things that they did were big externals, but they weren't right. the little things. Sometimes the little things is I wanted so badly to go get my graduate degree. It was something that I've been wanting to do forever. And you and still I can. prayed to the Lord. No, I prayed to the well, Lord okay. and I was told that is not your calling right now. And then we moved where I'm around five of my seven children right. and nine of my grandchildren. And every day from the time I get up to the time I go to bed, I'm surrounded by wonderful people and my husband works at home. So if I had that much going on, I wouldn't be able to balance them both. I agree. And the Lord knew my situation and my future, and he knew what I really wanted more than anything because there's nothing I love more than cuddling a baby. Yeah, so he knew too. my gift. And um, and he he left it open because it was it was really a tempting time for me to go back to school. But he told me, and so I think it's those inspirations that lead us where we need to go, and and it can be different for each of us, and that's the key. Well, and it's, letting our will be His will, like you said in the right. prayer, right? If we let our will be His will, then we do know Him, right? So for me. The one that connects here is if we turn to Matthew 6, 13, 33 and 34, the last two verses of, of that chapter. For me, this is the answer of why he's saying, you know, I don't know you. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. But if you look at the Joseph Smith translation of especially that, you know, verse 33, he says, Wherefore, seek not the things of this world, but seek ye first to build up the kingdom of God and to establish his righteousness. So for me, one of the reasons why the Lord didn't know these people, even though they were doing these grandiose, you know, uh, big things, big gestures, was that they were not seeking first the things, you know, the, the to build up the kingdom of God. That wasn't what they were trying to do. They were not being his servants in these big things that they were doing. And instead, you know, we must make sure it goes back to the whole heart thing and being a hypocrite because that's basically what we're talking about here, too. They were being hypocrites. They were accomplishing these big things, but not doing them for the purposes of the Lord or not doing them to build up his kingdom or not doing them in his name. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so because of that, you know, they, they were doing these things that he goes, well, look, because you didn't do it for me, you didn't do it for the gospel, I don't know you, nor do I know your works because they're not my works. So I was thinking a lot about this, and I don't know if you remember this talk by Sister Tracy Browning. You know, she she has she had glasses on, and she talked about how um, you was know, she does the last very, conference. Is yeah. the last conference? You remember and it? Yeah, and she had the glasses by her bed, and exactly. she wake up in the morning and see. She oh. can't see without her glasses yeah. on. Like and, me. I know. <laughs> exactly. As we get older, that's the reason why I have those big print scriptures. Um, but the one thing she also talked about as a new member of the church, 
she was saying about how, as a new member of the church, it kind of made her uncomfortable because, you know, people would come up and ask her about the gospel, and she still kind of didn't know enough to be able to answer questions or, you know, to do it. And so in some ways, it kind of made her nervous. And then she said this, I love this story. She said, through rigorous effort to look to and for Jesus Christ in my every thought and deed, my eyes were enlightened and my understanding quickened to recognize that Jesus Christ was calling for me to come unto him. From this early season of discipleship in my youth, I can recall an invitation extended to me by the missionaries to join them as they taught the gospel to a group of young girls about my age. One evening, as we were seated in the family home of one of these young women, their tender question of why I believe pricked my heart. So realized that she had just talked about how other people had asked her why she believed and how that was really hard for her, and she just kind of didn't want to even answer it. And it allowed me to testify to them with deepened understanding of the Lord's vision about the spiritual motivations of my discipleship and has refined my testimony going forward. Hmm. I love that story in connection with what we're talking about here because she was getting to know the Lord. She was looking to and for Jesus Christ in her life. And for me, one of the reasons why the Lord doesn't know you is because you don't know him. And so she had to come and know him. She had to come to him, looking for him, you know, looking to him to be able to bear that testimony, to be able to say, I know why I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because I know him. Hmm. And the works that I'm doing are to build up his kingdom. They're not for me. Therefore, the Savior. So do you have any thoughts about, you know, those principles that we've been talking about? Because it's like everything we've been talking about is kind of all in one. We've talked about hypocrisy is, right? and all yeah. this kind of connects together. It's, it's pretty powerful stuff. It's very powerful. It really is. And I think we all need to ask ourselves those same hard questions so that we can dig deeper. Sometimes we just cruise along and then... You know, we feel good because we're doing this and that and this and that. And then all of a sudden someone will ask us a hard question. Why do you believe? Why this? Why do you think that? And that really gives us a chance to dig deeper and into our own hearts and understanding and into the gospel. And I go back to my grown-up prayers. Right. I think if our prayers, if we're talking to the Lord and we actually realize how his you know, loving us and giving us these things, and then we remember them and keep track of them, that suddenly it's like, oh, I do have a relationship with the Savior. It's not just about getting to church when I'm asked or doing my calling, which is yeah. really time-consuming. It's about those moments of connection. Right. So it, it well, is And beautiful. then, like you said, when we do get that inspiration from our prayers and we do it, then that just strengthens the strengthens it back onto us we can see that what we did to follow the gospel what the lord told us to do how it has blessed us and this goes back to this idea of foundation yes right. how do we build that strong foundation oh, okay so now i have to go there now how do we have that strong foundation because okay. that's the, that's the thing that we need to make sure we're not hypocrites that's the thing that we need to make sure these other things don't start crumbling down around us 
Well, I actually think this is the only parable that's in the Sermon on the Mount. And I was thinking about when they said that the Lord doesn't teach in parables because he's only teaching to his disciples. He's not teaching to the people. Whereas when he's teaching the people and there's non-believers there, then he has to guard his language. But this parable is for believers too. It's true. So I wanted Definitely. to start with the with what was happening. And it wasn't until I visited um, Israel that I understood this. And you know, you hear about the River Jordan and them crossing the River Jordan and how cool the River Jordan is. And when I saw it, I was shocked how little it was. Yeah, it's not very it's big. It's not very a big, big no. we were living, um, well, we lived in Minnesota right by the Mississippi. Right. Which is huge. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go to the River Jordan, and the River Jordan is only 33 feet wide in most places. Yeah. That can go much wider. When it, it floods. The average, it floods. And, well, we were going to talk about the yeah. flooding, but normally... It's, it's not very wide, and in many places, it's only six feet deep. Right. So you can walk it, or five feet deep. So you can walk it, you know, with your nose in the air. It's not going to go over your head it's much. It's the perfect depth it's, for it, baptism. Yeah. Exactly. It's good. exactly. Well, there's actually only certain places you can baptize. There's one turn right. that's above, and that's where those baptisms were. But for many of the other areas, it's not very wide. But if you look at the area where the River Jordan is... There is a place, and it's called, I didn't look it up, they say Azor, or the Zor, which is the Jordan Valley. Have you ever heard that term used for the, the area around the Jordan Valley? I don't River? know how to say it properly. It's U with a little chink R, and it's or, so Zor. But, um, but the Zor, or the Jordan River Valley, then it has kind of mountains on either side. And there are no cities in this 65-mile-long path of the Jordan from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. There are no cities in that valley. In that little valley. Right. Right. All the cities are up. Uh, Jericho is the closest, but it's definitely up on a ridge on the mountains because of the terrible flooding. Right. And so the flooding in January and February are the worst times of the year. And they said in 12 hours, it can go from being 33 feet across to being half a mile across. And it can raise up to five feet in 12 wow. hours. So the flooding. That's a lot of water. Is that's right. And then it's way over your head. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And they said that it has a zigzag current. So it can just drown you wow right when this flooding happens so it is very so everyone that lives in this area knows you don't build next to the jordan river sure you build up on the hills but on the hills you either have to do wells or cisterns because there's not a lot of water so it is a lot more convenient for people that would be down by the little jordan river and they could Mm -hmm you know, filter the water and they just have it right there in a place that doesn't have a lot of water. And until those two months, you would think those people are so clever, you know, that the foolish man is actually the smart one right, because he has things so easy and you have to worry about your water source up in the mountains and work so much harder. But we know that when the rains come down, then the person that is really wise is shown. Right. And I thought... How interesting that we live in a world where sometimes the rain hasn't come yet. And you look at the people that have it so easy 
that live down are are in the Lord's ways foolish, right. but seem to have such an easy thing. They don't have the same responsibilities. They don't have to answer to the inspiration that may be unpleasant. You laugh about me having seven children. I only wanted four. So. <laughs> I didn't laugh. I, I, I say no, hats off. I know, but I, it was just funny because it was such inspiration for me. Um, it was a stretch. And then you look at people that are able to make that choice without reaching to the Lord. And I'm kind of jealous sometimes, but when the brains come down, you know, you're like whatever your inspiration was. Sorry, I shouldn't have used that example because I know each of us have a different calling when it comes to that. But in other ways, there's so many examples of when the Lord tells us or requires us to do something. I agree. I do want to read the words of this parable because I do think that for for me, it also brings even more power to the story that you just Mm -hmm. said. He said, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them which I think is an interesting beginning to that. That's true. So heareth mine and then doeth them. And when he's just talking about the hearer of the word and not the doer only. Exactly. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. That goes right with what you were saying. Which is a lot more work than building it on the sand. A lot more work. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds began to beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall thereof. So for me, the beginning here, heareth them and doeth them, kind of goes around with the parable. It's kind of. And the importance of foundation. And I think you were going to talk. Well, I just keep going back to the words of President Nelson when he said that in our time, we are experiencing earthquakes in diverse places. And then he said, in the homes of the families of the church, not literal earthquakes, but those kind of earthquakes that crack the foundation and how he pleaded with us to go to the temple and make and keep our covenants because that is how we heal the cracks in the foundation. I love it. And remember that talk that he talked about foundations and he showed us the Salt Lake yes, Temple that they were doing? Yes, that whole temple. And I loved and that what he said was um, there will be no safer place during an earthquake in Salt Lake Valley than inside <laughs> that temple. Yes. Oh, Likewise, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that whenever wonderful? any kind of upheaval occurs in your life, the safest place to be spiritually is living inside your temple covenant. And I in that it. same talk, he said, Please believe me when I say that when your spiritual foundation is built solidly upon Jesus Christ, you have no need to fear. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful, right? I'm going to add another additional thing. If we go, you know, Helaman 512, and I might be stealing your thunder by reading that scripture, but the one thing that really struck me is I know many of us could just say it by heart. But if we look at the context here, it's remember. He's saying for us to remember. I mean, that's the power of it. And I go back to your thought about covenants. All about keeping covenants is to remember. 
remember, remember the covenants that we've made. Right. Remember, and we go to the temple, and we go often so that when we go leave the temple, we remember. And if we wait too long, we forget. Yeah. And, and I think that's the power of the foundation. And, of course, he now says, and now, my sons, remember, remember that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation, that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, yea, when all is hail and mighty storm shall beat upon you, all of us are feeling that right now. Right. It shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe because of the rock upon which you are built, right. which is a sure foundation. And that's that rock of Jesus Christ. That, that is. Nelson just mentioned, and we keep our covenants. I agree. Wow. I um, Going to the temple, that was so interesting. There was a time where I was called as Relief Study President and was with a ward that was just really struggling, a smaller ward. And I had this prayer. And in the prayer, I said a phrase that just kind of came like, from my mouth that I, I was surprised and it helped me. And I was like, wow. And then I went to the temple and it was a phrase from my temple covenants, from the initiatory. And I was like, oh, that's where that, and it came from the Lord. Oh, and it's so funny because as we go and we're looking for inspiration, we can often find that connection to our own temple covenants that we don't even realize we're remembering. Yeah, yeah and I think it was, Actually, Sister Nelson, who said, repeat those covenants when you have a chance, maybe when you're getting ready in the morning, maybe when you're driving in the car, maybe after your prayer, whatever. Repeat those covenants to yourself to help you wow. remember. Well, and Elder Woodso, it's a favorite um, quote of mine, but it's something that I just always think about. He talks about if we go to the temple worthily, if we, we do these things for other people as the saviors of men, as we do temple work for others, that in and out of the temple, we will feel the Spirit of the Lord helping us through the day. And, I, and we'll have that inspiration. And I hold on to that because even out of the temple, if I'm going regularly, if I'm remembering those covenants, then those blessings and promises, just like you were saying, will, they'll heal the cracks in my life. Yeah, I, I actually was just, as you can tell, listening to this talk about covenants from Sister Nelson at BYU, and she said also that when we keep our temple covenants, we have the power to ask God to dispatch angels to help us. Oh, wow. I need angels. Yeah. <laughs> who, who doesn't, I right? Love, I would love angels. So That is so beautiful. Well, thank you so much for this wonderful discussion, and I am so thankful to have that knowledge that we do have a foundation that can be sure as we look to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So thank you for your testimonies today. Well, thank you for this beautiful lesson. It was fun and wonderful. Well, I'm going to look more closely at my motivations when I do things. Thank you. <laughs> and you've definitely inspired me to pray better, oh. more like a girl. Oh, definitely. <laughs>